His body on the cross, His blood poured out for us, the weight of every curse upon
Our reading is from Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 19. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be, and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of war and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. Welcome. It's good for me to be here with you. For you who don't know, my name is Jay Hyatt. I live next door as the director of Missionary Gospel Fellowship, and we've been neighbors for quite a long time now. I've particularly enjoyed getting to know some of your congregation through those years across the the side fence between us, and particularly in the past year, getting to know even more of you as I've had opportunities to come and share with you a few times this year. I've enjoyed very much... um, and in the last two weeks in particular, I've always been given freedom by the staff and by your previous pastor, Charles, uh, to speak on whatever God laid on my heart. But I really enjoyed the last two weeks looking into the Methodist lectionary and seeing what was the topic for, for each of those weeks. The uh, lectionary is kind of an organized approach to the, the Bible, and I w- wanted to kind of explore what it means, the, the beauty, actually, of being Methodist. And, and I, I come from a different tradition myself. I'm an elder at another church in town and uh, was raised in an even different tradition than that. So to, to see what is common with Methodists, and I know that this church actually has a long history, like a 143 years, something like that now. Is that right? Maybe you guys don't even pay attention to that either, but... but I noticed in the bulletin where it says the first church in Turlock and gives the date when, when this church was founded. That's, that's a long track record, and, and I wanted to explore a little bit about what that means. And I know that Methodists in general, there are different expressions of the Methodist church around different places, but the lectionary actually meant a lot to me as I've been exploring it. In particular, the, 
the the series of scriptures, there, there are always a lot more scriptures laid out in the lectionary than we can use on a Sunday morning. But they f- usually have a common theme and focus. And then there are some that sort of add to that theme, that focus, enhance our understanding of it, and give a different perspective of how we might approach that. And so the, this passage that we read today from Luke is a, a common prophetic passage. It's a passage that deals with the destruction of Jerusalem particularly. And there are elements of it which may not yet be fulfilled. But that particular passage was given by Jesus to his disciples as they were curious about what is going to happen in the future. I think we all have questions about that. We are all interested, naturally curious about what's going to happen in the future. And all of the, the um, scriptures from the lectionary this week revolved around eschatology, which is that's a, a big word for the study of the end of the world as we know it. So it's about the future, how things wrap up. And the disciples, were, of course, were intensely interested in that. And Jesus was speaking very specifically about what was going to happen in Jerusalem in the years after he was crucified, raised from the dead, and then ascended to the Father. And the church began to grow under the ministry of the apostles. But they didn't know all of that. They didn't even know. They, they weren't really even convinced at that point about what he meant by having talked to them several times about that he must die and be raised from the dead. They, he would say things like that, and they would think, hmm. And they wanted to ask him, but they really couldn't understand it at that point. I think that's, that's an element that is part of all of our understanding of prophecy The Bible is filled with prophecies, and many of those have already been fulfilled. God gave prophecies about what was going to happen to the nation of Israel, and then it did. Some of those are are big, scary, catastrophic events. And then there are also, mixed in with those, incredible prophecies about a, a new age to come when Jesus Christ reigns personally on earth. And how the lion will lie down with the lamb, how there will be peace on earth and there will be justice everywhere. Like that psalm that we read where God vindicates the righteous and he has fully and perfectly punished the wicked and everything is done and it's right. That was the theme of that psalm that dovetails nicely with this passage from Luke. And there were other passages as well, but one of them, and in fact I'd like to read it, um, is not so much about what's going to happen, but it connects with what we're doing in the meantime. This is Second Thessalonians 3, 6-13. through 13. And this is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. It's actually in the second letter that he wrote to them. Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness, and not according to the tradition that they received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you, and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you. This was not because we do not have that right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave gave you this command. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. 
Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. Now what does that scripture have to do with things of the end, with the wrap-up of history? This is the second letter to the Thessalonians, as I said. And in the first letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, they were confused and disturbed by a lot of rumors and, and talk about prophecies that had been given in Scripture and that had been given maybe by prophets at that time that um, the end had already happened. Jesus Christ had already come and, and it was all over but had not been manifest yet or something like that. Anyway, there was a lot of confusion about what those prophecies meant. And so they were distressed. Paul wrote to kind of straighten them out on what was going to happen and to assure them that they're not going to be able to miss it when it does happen. Apparently, what he wrote encouraged some to be patient in tribulation, the the difficult circumstances that they were enduring, but equally apparently, it caused some to sort of give up, to not give any more thought to how they lived in this world at this time. That was certainly not Paul's intention. And so he had written this second letter, and specifically this passage, to correct that. This, I think, opens up for us a, a question about why God included prophecy in the Bible in the first place. God could simply have had people inspired by him record what had happened and record how people responded and then show his favor or not. But he didn't. He extensively uses prophecy through the scriptures. And so instead of trying to show you the reasonableness of of my particular opinions about what prophecy means and how things are going to work out, I thought it would be more helpful for us to talk about why God uses prophecy. And before I jump into that, I I have to sort of confess that when I was younger, uh, like a teenager, and uh, went to high school and met kids from a lot of other uh, faith backgrounds, and some of them introduced me to a book called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. Has anyone read or uh, is familiar with that book? A few. It, when I was growing up, it was pretty popular and it influenced a lot of people in terms of thinking about what all of those prophecies in the scripture mean. And Hal Lindsey was a guy who, who studied the prophecies and, and looked around the world as things were politically, geopolitically at that time and, and thought, well, the Bible says this and so this is going to have to happen and so here's a way that that might work out. And he came up with a particular way of looking at that and a particular chronology that got to be pretty popular. And yet, that's not the only way to look at it. So instead of, of coming up with a chronology of how what's going to work out, I think it's better to, to ask ourselves and to deal with, with the fact that God does include prophecy, and yet, for what purpose? When Jesus was with his disciples on the, on the night before that he was crucified, John records an extensive conversation that Jesus had, and it's mostly Jesus talking to his disciples. He's giving them the most important things that they could hang on to because he's about to be taken from them by crucifixion. He will be raised again, 
But then sometime after that, he's going to ascend to the Father and he won't be with them. They're going to have a lot of questions. They're facing, honestly, the end of the world as they know it. And they don't even know that it's coming or at least exactly what's going to happen. They know something's up. They can tell by Jesus' demeanor, his attitude, that something's up and th- something's going to happen. So through, through these chapters of John 13 through 16, he is, Jesus is explaining to them that he has to leave. He's explaining that the Father loves them. He's explaining what it means to them, how they are related to him, and, and that they can trust that even though he's going to be taken with them, and even because that's going to cause them a lot of sorrow, they can be sure, they can be confident that he will be with them, that he has a place prepared for them, and that it's going to work out just like it was intended from the beginning. So as he's explaining these things to them, he says something very important in John fourteen twenty nine. He says, I have told you these things beforehand so that when they take place, you may believe. When I read that some years ago, I realized that that is really the reason that God uses prophecy so frequently throughout the scriptures. I have told you these things before they take place so that when they take place, you may believe. That's God's intention for us. When we read prophecy and then we see something happen that connects with what we read, we can be confident. No matter how scary the circumstances are, no matter how troubling the event itself might be, we can be confident that God knew about this before it happened, that he has allowed for it and prepared for it, and that through that, through the devastating occurrences that we see in life, God remains in control and able to help all those who call upon him, all those who put their trust in him, through those events. It helps us to believe. Now, what does that tell us about God, the fact that God uses prophecy in this way? First of all, it tells us that God is different than we are. God is not bound by time as we are. Another way to say that is that God is eternal. He's outside of time, and he sees the end from the beginning. He's never taken by surprise. We frequently are. And prophecy was not given so that we would not be taken by surprise. Prophecy was not given so that we would have an edge on people who don't pay attention. That's actually what I kind of got out of it when I read that book and when I read other books and talked with other people about prophecy back when I was younger. I became what is now called a prepper. I wanted to be sure that I had all the resources I was going to need. I was going to be able to provide for and protect myself and and my loved ones. And God had to wean me away from that perspective because that's not why he gave prophecy. It wasn't to create an inside track club for believers. It wasn't to give us an advantage over the world. Now, it might seem like it, and a lot of people kind of use it that way. But if that was the way it was supposed to be used, what it would mean is that we are gaining a resource to become our own saviors. Just one boost, like a stepladder to reach the top shelf in the closet, when actually 
The salvation that we are offered in Jesus Christ is a lifeline thrown from a secure place to us who are drowning in a raging sea. There's really no comparison. We are not our own saviors. We're saved by Jesus Christ, by his power. And if it was just that God is going to give us insight about what's going to happen so that we can take care of ourselves, that would go against the entire testimony of Scripture regarding who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So, what else does that tell us about God? It tells us that he loves us. Why would he have even included these prophecies about what's going to happen in the future? Let us know in advance what he's going to do, even if he does it in a way that keeps us from taking responsibility, from interfering with what he's going to do. Why would he have told us beforehand? It's because he cares enough about us to care what we actually think of him, how we understand and value him. And this, this does not say, it is not that God cares what we think about him because he is insecure or because he's worried about what we might think and get the wrong impression of him. That also is because he loves us and he wants us to see him as he is. He wants us to understand and to know our great creator and not to miss the opportunity to do that. So, what are we to do with prophecy? Well, the first thing, as Paul was writing to the Thessalonians, is that we should not be taken out of the game. We should not think because it is written beforehand that nothing we do matters, and so we just stop and we rest. If we do that, if we stop taking thought for how we live, we naturally default to our most basic, sensual, carnal instincts. And, and that, would be, that would make us lazy and unprofitable, just as the Thessalonians, some of them were. One of the other things that I learned from the lectionary this week is that last week, as, as you remember, there was recognition and celebration of the self-sacrificing service of our veterans. And you guys are going to celebrate that next week also with a, a fellowship meal. This week, the emphasis was on honoring those among us who serve, particularly in quiet, even unnoticed ways. Now, you see the people who are up front. You see Rebecca, you see Daryl, you see Claire. And you may notice also in the back the guys who are manning the soundboard or running the computer for the, our service together. But there are many other people that are involved in this church in very practical and important ways. Your bulletin has a list of some of those, but there are probably others as well. So I want to invite you this week to take a minute to look through there and remember some of those people. And if you see them this Sunday, say hi, say thank you, and remember them in your prayers. Also, don't forget to ask them about somebody that may not be listed in the bulletin because there are other people serving who are not listed and all of those matter to the congregation the way it's established. And God has put each person in their particular place for the health and the benefit of this congregation. Just as each of you are here, brought this morning by God as well. So those people are living out their salvation in acts of service. You also 
whatever role that you have or think that you don't have in this particular congregation, you have a God-appointed service. And it may be something like being a car mechanic, or it may be something like being a doctor or some other service profession. It might be as a salesman. But whatever you do, as you are earning your living, you have the opportunity to connect with people and to demonstrate the character of Jesus Christ in the way that you relate to people. You have an opportunity that is time-limited. It's time-limited by your time here on earth. So that's one of the other things that prophecy is important for and can encourage us with. Prophecy assures us that whenever it comes and however it arrives, there is an end. Perhaps it's painful for us or, or, or we just naturally avoid thinking about our own death. And, and that's how most of us leave this world. But prophecy assures us that there is an end to the activity of this life. And we should take advantage of that. In a way, it's like a great sports contest. It's like we're in a game. But the only thing that affects the outcome The only thing that allows us to participate in this great victory that's already been won by Jesus Christ is the time that we have here on earth. So far from taking us out of that game and making us sit on the bench complacent and self-indulgent, the idea of prophecy should remind us that there are greater stakes in even the most mundane things that we do. We should do those things with an eye on eternity, even as our hands are busy here and now even though our our hearts are connected here and now with people. And that's what we can do. We can connect with people. We can show people, demonstrate to people here and now the character of Jesus Christ, extend his grace to them, show them his love, be his welcoming hands in whatever circle we find ourselves, whether it's in this congregation, whether it's our circle of friends outside, our families, workplace, wherever you are, you have that opportunity I don't want you to miss it. So, I hope that this week you will remember that your time here is limited. But not in a frightening or scary way, but in a way that inspires you to live each minute fully, recognizing Jesus in every bit of it. And may he go through this week with you. And now, with whatever you're facing this week, May you sense the presence of Jesus Christ. May you remember that there is a path appointed for you. There is a path appointed for this world. And may you find your place in it with joy and peace. In his name, go forth. Amen. listening to this podcast of the First United Methodist Church in Turlock, California. 
This podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial share-alike license. For more information about our church, visit www.fumcturlock or call the church at 209-668-3000. Visitors are always welcome. And now, may the peace of the Lord dwell in your hearts this day, and may God bless you.